This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to episode 47, uh, where we're talking with the Michael J. Fox Foundation and their SVP of digital marketing, Emily Moyer. I track these guys down because I hold them as the gold standard in terms of online communication and especially stewardship, uh, let alone their innovative approach to finding a cure for Parkinson's. And so in this, I really want you to pay attention to how they treat the friend to funder pipeline and the importance they place on stewardship, the importance they place on getting the right data in front of the right people. They were also able to really leverage an amazing moment in time, their Back to the Future day, where they had uh, this date where we'll talk about the significance, but basically a whole bunch of public media attention that they were able to harness with a specific goal of building their social media following. And this one day, they increased their overall followers across platforms by about 25%. This was leading right into, of course, Giving Tuesday at the end of the year, and they increased their matching uh, donation goal from what it previously was 100,000 to half a million with this huge audacious goal of saying, I think we can get, kicking off on Giving Tuesday, a half a million dollars to, to hit this match, uh, a huge increase and largely they were able to hit it because of the priority they had placed on again thinking about how they nurtured the people that they built through social media, through they built through their email uh, marketing lists and how they pay attention to that pipeline uh, can maybe give you some ideas on making the case internally for, wait a minute, why does social media matter? Why does it matter that we grow our email list and the number of people we have the permission to talk to? All right, I'm gonna stop talking and jump into this awesome interview that is gonna give you tons of ideas and, and really help you make the case for using social, using uh, digital marketing to increase uh, the numbers that matter at your organization. J. Fox Foundation offices uh, with Emily Moyer, who is the SVP of Marketing and Digital Strategies. How's it going? It's great. Thank you for asking. Thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm really excited you could take the time to do this, but my first question is, uh, what, what does an SVP of Marketing and Digital Strategies do? <laughs> well, essentially what I do is manage the work of three different teams, including our web and mobile development team our newly formed digital marketing team, and our CRM and analytics team. Wow, um, that's a lot of teams. So I'm, I'm curious, with, uh, with all that going in, uh, full disclosure, I can actually see your computer screen with tons of charts and data and numbers. Uh, I'm curious though, what are some of the North Stars you've been using, like the main KPIs that you're using to guide all of these teams? Sure, well, in terms of audience development, which has been a main focus of our work this year, we are looking for growth in web traffic, in our social reach, and in our email opt-in population. Um, and those are the metrics we've been tracking to ensure that we are scaling those audiences um, for proper impact. And then once we've scaled those audiences, we tap into them with a variety of calls to action. 
So on the fundraising side, we're looking to find people who are engaged enough to support our cause. And on the research engagement side, we're looking for people who are interested in helping us find a cure for the disease um, through participation in clinical trials or if they just simply want to attend, attend an event in their geographic area. So why, why do you really care about maybe email signups or like social following if the real goal is funds, if the real goal is you know, uh, research engagement? What, what is the relationship there? How do you make that leap of like, all right, fine, somebody signed up for our email to then committing? Well, part and parcel of audience development is the stewardship and engagement piece, and we're lucky enough to have an incredible in-house content and communications team that turns out world-class content on Parkinson's research and advances. So once we get that point of contact, we're able to not just ask for money, but for the most part provide a service in the bulk of our, of our communications with that audience. And on the heels of that, we would look at it perhaps an 80-20 rule and say, well, 80% of the time will be educational, 20% of the time we'll ask for an act to be taken. So maybe this is the right time, I guess, as an interviewer should do it. Could you tell us a bit about the Michael J. Fox Foundation? Sure. So the Michael J. Fox Foundation has been around for 15 years. It's an organization that's dedicated to finding a cure for Parkinson's in our lifetime. And I recently joined about a year ago, coming from the corporate world, um, to head up the effort to scale our efforts in the digital realm. And um, I think there's a lot of um, low-hanging fruit in terms of what we can do to scale and reach the full target population. When I got here, I observed that we had only penetrated a small percentage of what we consider to be our overall population, which is roughly one to two million Parkinson's patients in the U.S., plus two to three family members per patient. Um, so my goal is to truly reach each and every one of those people. So can you tell us a little bit about the approach the foundation takes to research? Because I do think it is unique and a model for other foundations. Sure. So um, the foundation doesn't actually do any research. We fund independents who um, we believe are doing um, the proper work to advance a certain um, finding that we particularly have some kind of affiliation to, or some, or people who are truly doing evolutionary and risk-taking things. Essentially, where we are in the business model is that we are um, mediating the cost of bringing a drug to market and de-risking the opportunity for potentially biotech and pharma companies to do that in the long run. So wait a minute, you're telling me you're giving money to pharma to do, to do this work? How does that look? No, we're simply in the middle of that pipeline such that we are engaging researchers in order to move forward some of these findings such that the treatments that we bring about or help to bring about will become more attractive and less costly. Yeah, and I think that I'm just I'm just poking the bears a little here. Obviously, it's incredible that the fact that you can leverage you know one million here to unlock ten uh, on their side, and you're like, I don't care how this drug gets to market, get it done. Right, exactly. And get I guess that done. brings us back to the the audience funnel and this idea of like, look, you know, you have these two objectives, but you're not looking upstream. Like we're literally looking at a funnel right now. It's got a big blue thing at the top and then a little green thing at the bottom. And this stewardship idea, um, you know, there's 
if there's nobody at the top, there's no one to steward. So can you tell me, um, give me a customer journey, let's say. I just signed up for your email and a customer journey to somebody who may become um, a participant in a trial. What is what does that look like? What sort of time frame do you expect on that, the cycle time of, you know, I sign up today? Sure. Well, I guess I would take a step back on that. If you're signing up for an email, over the past year, you've most likely come to that opportunity via our social media marketing or our organic search. Um, but to talk to something over which we have a bit more control, um, you're likely to have uh, seen a friend comment on one of our Facebook posts, or perhaps um, you were targeted by us based on a look-alike model, and you look like your friend, um, share interests, or, or an age or demographic. Um, you may be coming to us because we're offering you a particular white paper or some other kind of gated content that you may have interest in. Um, and once you've given us your email, uh, we'll be reaching out with you in a, with a welcome series, and you're able to actually opt into a few different content streams based on your interest once you um, do so. Those are quite good, you know, roughly three per visit, um, and we see a lot of return visitors. So I think for the most part what we're doing is engaging in content marketing, whether that's through social or email or on our blog. Um, and then every so often, again, to the 80-20 rule, we're peppering that with some calls to action. So you may have seen in terms of trial recruitment, um, while we do do blog stories, I would say for the most part, again, we're getting our traffic from that social audience that we've built over time, and um, we're geo-targeting those asks. So when we know there is a certain um, trial site in a certain area, we can geo-target to that area with the proper messaging. Cool. So just to, this sounds like I sign up, you get my email, and like I start to get more and more of the story played out, and you're like, hey, which which are you interested? Turning left or turning right? And in this case, I'm turning right toward uh, research and enrollment. Like, how can I get involved? How can I get involved? And then you get my spinal fluid. <laughs> how that final step? Like, how long does it take? I'm just I'm joking around, but like that's a serious thing. You get someone to sign up for a trial finder. Uh, in a trial and they're like actually going into the doctor, you need a very large top of the funnel to get down to that final point. But you basically have designed these, it seems like, you know, completed guided paths toward that end. Yes. Um, it depends on what trial you're participating in, whether or not you get a spinal tap. <laughs> but um, um, to, this year, there was set a goal to get to 50,000 registrations in Fox Trial Finder, and we were able to achieve that early with the coordination of two different teams here. Um, and it was it was later in the game that digital marketing became an actual function here, and we were able to contribute to that, but we were able to bring in a few thousand um, to help close out that goal early this year. I do think that's a platform that we could scale, um, quite honestly. Um, right now we are looking at retaining those people um, and ensuring that they uh, continue to participate, the ones that we have continue to participate. Um, so we're a bit more in the retention mode there and less in the, in the recruitment mode there at the, at the moment. Um, but there are other areas in which we're very much ramping up trial recruitment and we're doing it with even more niche requirements 
and we're able to fulfill those on Facebook mm -hmm. in the self-serve ad platform and through just our simple organic reach. That's incredible. And so let's take a step back and talk about uh, maybe some of the campaigns that you've done this year to grow the audience. Um, one in particular was, uh, I feel like, very, very well known online because uh, it was actually October 15th and something special happened and you guys were able to capitalize. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about, about that. Yeah, sure. It was actually October 21st. It, Obviously, it's, I knew that. Oh. <laughs> it's a Back to the Future day, and um, we'd been planning for it for some time. Um, that was the day in Back to the Future 2 that Marty McFly returned to the went to the future. And we were preparing for quite a bit of marketing activity because we were aware that our Facebook audience in particular is full of Facebook, of Michael fans. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that we were addressing it. Um, I don't think in the history of Foundation there's been a news event that's been monetized to the, to the, to the extent we were able to do so on Back to the Future Day. Um, we had a number of different co-marketing partnerships that, in, that increased our ex exposure, including typical earned media placements, but also we partnered on Facebook with um, a couple other uh, fan bases that got us a reach of an incremental two million. Mm -hmm. um, and when we went out with our messaging on Back to the Future Day, we not only celebrated that day, but we also made a direct ask for donations. And as a result, we did achieve a, um, a huge bump in our social following. I think we increased our social following by 100,000 over the course of just a few days. Um, we garnered $100,000 in donations and we brought in several thousand new email addresses. And that was a particularly interesting experiment because while we'd had earned media and big events in the past, we'd never been successful in bringing people to take action. Yeah, I feel like you're dealing with a, a tremendous, well-loved celebrity, and I uh, personally have seen many moments in the past where I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to double the everything. You know, they're, they're figuring out the shoes, they're actually going to come out with it, Michael's coming out with a show, there's this opportunity. So it, it's very clear that, you know, some of the ingredients are obviously there, so people listening, they're like, yeah, well, it's fine when you've got the, like, big moments happening, but... There was something different that you did this time, and it seemed like it happened in the preparation. It seemed like it happened in this attention to conversion and monetizing the moment, not just from like, hey, get donations, but really saying like, how do we you know, get the most out of this moment? I think I failed to mention the most important co-marketing partnership of the day, which was with Nike. So we did do quite a bit of prep work in setting the tracks for earned media and for increased reach. Um, but what we weren't necessarily prepared for were the events that unfolded over the 24-hour period, including Nike personally delivering the first self-lacing Nike mags to Michael on the day. Um, what was extraordinary and what we still look back on as just a crazy black swan moment was the hour in which our co-founder was able to capture the first image and video of Michael trying on the self-lacing Nike mags and Nike was generous enough to allow us to break that news first. Um, we hosted the video of Michael trying on the shoes on the Facebook page of the foundation and it 
immediately went viral. I think it's had nearly 30 million views last time I checked. Um, the, the photo went viral on Twitter, and at that point, I think President Obama tweeted to Michael, and he slash we tweeted back, um, and our traffic spiked online. So it was just an amazing day, yeah. and it was, I think it was, I think for the most part, what we saw there was the power of Nike and the generosity of Nike, and um, Nike and the foundation experienced a tremendously you know, positive response. Um, so it, it was an amazing day. <laughs> I think it's one of the best days I've had at the foundation, if not the best. Yeah, and you know, you, some can say that you get lucky with moments like these, but I, I look at luck as opportunity plus preparation here. Um, you were ready mm -hmm. to capitalize on it. You did the right things by putting it on Facebook, by asking to be the ones that released it. But I'm now curious about, yeah, sure, you know, we've seen, and I've seen other organizations that have their sort of Oprah moments, and it kind of washes over them, and they're not able to retain. They're not able to actually keep the audience. It's like, and they crashed our site, and they moved on, is like the most common story I'm used to hearing. So I'm curious now, moving toward now the funding side, right, the other side of what we're working on with our audience, can you tell us a bit about how you know you're you're moving into this with Giving Tuesday and some of the results of like all right sure you had all this attention but are they staying with you and what have you seen? Yeah, that's a really good question because we had a few, just a few weeks to go after gaining this new audience and going into Giving Tuesday we were concerned about losing the scale before we really hit off year end fundraising efforts. We tracked them very carefully. We um, actually sent a targeted email to our new followers, what we called our sneakerheads. Um, we had Bill, Bob Gale, um, the playwright, I mean, the screenwriter of uh, Back to the Future, write a personalized email to them. Um, we sent a little more information around on Back to the Future, targeting them specifically on Facebook just to ensure that they were staying with us. By the time we got to Giving Tuesday, we hadn't seen any drop-off at all um, across social. So we were in a good place. We had gone from 500 to 600,000 followers on social and gained tens of thousands over Instagram and Twitter, and we were in a good place to begin giving Tuesday promotion. We decided this year to go out again with a match. In 2014, we'd gone out with a $100,000 match, and it had been met very quickly. This year, we had upped our um, community revenue goals and wanted to meet them by offering a much larger match of $500,000, which we kicked off on Giving Tuesday, knowing that we had this scaled audience behind us. Awesome. And how are you going? Um, how are you doing towards those uh, those goals? We're doing pretty well. I, I check the numbers on a near real time basis. Um, it's. We're at roughly uh, 365,000 of 500,000 with maybe the balance being closed in about a week. And this is pretty incredible. I'll just narrate what I'm seeing here. She was able to actually just click up a thing. She's using Domo, aggregating a bunch of these analytics. And this is pulling from, I imagine, Salesforce, from uh, web analytics, and also from oh, it's a, a dynamite little chart. Um, she's making, but now she's just showing off with these donuts. <laughs> uh, do you find the the dashboards helpful or more panic-inducing? This is actually a really good story, and um, we just brought on Domo in the past few weeks, and just like other options out there like Tableau, et cetera, it's a business intelligence reporting platform. It's the first we've had at the foundation, and it's game-changing. So most of the analysis we've done in the past has been manual and highly labor-intensive. 
um, we were able to very quickly integrate this business intelligence platform with Salesforce, ExactTarget, and Adobe Analytics. And now we have near, near real-time dashboards updating and automated on our desktops and on our mobile phones. So um, it's, it's one of those things that not only is interesting and we're able to use to pivot very quickly, particularly from a marketing perspective, but um, it's, it's, it's a magnitude of time saving that I probably couldn't even quantify. So how long has this been in place and you know, what was the impetus behind implementing this? Just a few weeks. Um, and the impetus was just the, the labor and time involved in, in, in getting an analysis done. And I found that we were asking the same questions over and over and over again. And I would call that analysis paralysis. What we wanted to do was start asking more intelligent questions. So we automated the reports for questions that are asked most commonly. And then we provided the opportunity to drill into those details such that we could ask smarter questions moving forward. Were there any challenges that you had to overcome in terms of getting this implemented? Uh, aside from obviously it takes a lot of work, some resources to do it, was there any other, let's call them fears of having this type of instant data available? That's a really good question, George. <laughs> I think one of the challenges was in convincing the foundation that we had gotten to a point when we needed the conversion of a statistics expert with marketing technology to help us kind of move the bar. And it's hard to describe these things without showing them. So explaining why a, st a, st a statistician is different th than a typical analyst is difficult enough, but showing people the value of software is hard until it's in their hands and they're actually seeing what it can do. I think I just simply had to have a couple leaps, leaps of faith there and they came together really well. You know, I think with more transparency comes better questions and sometimes fear of what the data may divulge. Uh, we've had certain instances when a DOMO report has quickly brought to a head or a close a conversation that otherwise would have gone on for quite a long time or created extra workflows. So it's a very new world here where we can just pull something up and quickly make a decision on what not to do and what to do based on quantitative, not qualitative discussion. So maybe we can move to some of the advice and, you know, well answered on that. It, it's, it's certainly difficult um, when you're talking about adding this level of transparency. And I use the word fear very specifically because I've seen it in other organizations. Oh my gosh. They're going to misrepresent my work and to boil it down to just one number. How can they do it? It's so complex. Yes, and um, there's still upsides to doing it. It sounds like some of your approach was, let's see if we can try this. I'm going to put it in front of you and see if we can make it more efficient to answer these questions. Um, what are some of the other changes you imagine coming from this with regard to, to behavior? I think of dashboards as a passive thing until you get feedback loops until you start asking those questions. What are the type of behavioral changes that you're looking forward to, say, now that this is in place? We've actually already started seeing them. So some of our data cleanliness and integrity issues, which otherwise we would kind of begin tackling in a vacuum or in sort of a umbrella approach, when we go into a one of these reports and we drill down into a specific area, we're actually 
able to see a place where we want to tweak the data such that it's more consistent. And that's much more helpful in that data cleansing exercise. We've also noticed that it's very helpful for accounting. Um, we're able to, tr to audit the numbers such that they are consistent with those of accounting and eliminate the manual reporting that we're doing for our auditing purposes. So one of the things I imagine and being able to get that sort of feedback, right, I press on the gas, I go faster, I press on the brake, I go slower, is that you can adjust from, let's say, a marketing mistake or effort a lot faster. If, for example, uh, a new welcome series that simply, hey, let's try insulting people and see what they do and berate them. <laughs> yeah. Let's go ahead and stop that. Is that kind of thing materializing faster, potentially? It really is. Um, a good example is in year-end giving email campaigns. We've been challenged with the task of really segmenting our audience and sending targeted messages related to their previous behaviors so that we don't exhaust them with too many year-end giving messages. What we've been able to do with Domo is create a year-end donation spread report by email and message. So for each email and for each audience that we've defined differently, we're able to now see what the highest, lowest, and median gift was for that group. And that will not only inform our future communications and asks for that group, but has also enabled us to pivot quickly such that our next email to these people actually reflects that we know this information or that we're asking in the right range. Now for behavioral buckets, are these acquisition buckets, like let's say most of these folks came on the uh, Back to the Future Day, or are they behavioral with regard to these are people that open our emails 37% of the time, or are they net worth scraped type of things? Well, I, were, I wish they were the latter, but no, they're actually, um, how have they behaved in the past? Have they already given in 2015? Mm -hmm. Have they given in previous years, but not yet in 2015? Or have they not given in the past two to three years? Mm -hmm. So we were able to um, target messages appropriate to those behaviors, and then we were actually able to see the best performing ones, and quite frankly, when we called people out based on what we knew, we actually got a better response. So you can see here the most successful email was, have not donated this year on so Giving like, Tuesday. Come on. We know, come <laughs> on. <laughs> um, followed by a never donated, which is likely to be a segment of our newly acquired audience. Do you have an idea? And Obviously, you don't have to answer. Do you have an idea of what the cycle time is from somebody who's never been donated, newly joined the list, to someone who, who donates? Is that like a six-month window, nine-month, or am I asking the wrong question? We don't know that yet, um, but we plan to know that. So in the new year, we're going to look at building out some of the capabilities that we don't take advantage of on exact target marketing cloud, and we're going to start mapping those constituent journeys so that we know what a typical journey looks like to a donation for a certain population, or we know what a typical journey looks like to a sign up for Fox Trial Finder. Um, those are things we have not yet automated and tested, but we would hope to, to optimize those mm -hmm. journeys. So it sounds like the most predictive buckets with regard to behavior for donation is previous donation um, patterns of behavior. 
Right now, yes. And um, But moving forward, we'd hope to integrate the data we have on their behavior on the website through Adobe Analytics, their behavior and um, response to our emails. And to your point, integrating some third-party data would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, what is the perfect subject line to get somebody to give money? <laughs> I like just putting you on the spot. <laughs> There's obviously no answer to that. That's a tough one because the foundation is, um, the foundation works for a, a cure and the money is just a means to that cure. And so as far as brand integrity is concerned, we're very careful with that kind of messaging. Yeah. Um, usually we'll couch it in terms of making sure that the recipient of that message, whether on, they're on social or on email, is the hero, so you can help us speed a cure um, is usually a good way to go. Um, and ensuring that that person would have impact in advancing the mission rather than simply give us money. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're always testing subject lines. Yeah. Does direct mail really matter anymore? Yes. There's a small segment of our population that is likely to give more than the median gift, but for whom we do not have an email address, and they're not regular users of social or the internet. And those are people who, who can only be reached by direct mail. However, I will say there's an optimization exercise that has to happen to make that work. So we're no longer gonna try to acquire new mail addresses by buying lists that fit our, our demographic. It, it just in the end doesn't work out financially in the way that social and, and email and online investment works. But what we are gonna do is optimize what the, those that we do have in our CRM who, for whom we do not have active emails. And we're going to um, ensure that, and, and to the same point, we, we do some segmentation there in the same way we do on email to send differentiated messaging. Awesome. I really appreciate the, the sort of transparency <laughs> on, on answering some of these things. Uh, so our audience knows I was like, Gave gave you like some of the questions I was going to ask, and I just asked a whole bunch of random other questions. <laughs> like, That's really interesting. That's really interesting. I think the guys, I think the things you're doing here are really um, well thought, smart, moving forward. So I would do want to move into this uh, advice that you you would have. Um, can you speak a little bit to someone in an organization right now who's just like drooling over your dashboards and like, oh my god, the so and so at the such and such department would never go for this. What you know sort of advice do you have for implementing? Um, these types of tools and this type of an approach? I've got a nod to the um, heart of the foundation, which is based on entrepreneurialism and risk-taking. Um, it's one of the reasons I joined the foundation, and I knew that there was a healthy appetite for calculated risk. Um, I, I also knew this was a case um, in which I'd have to visually show the impact of the tool before it could be widely adopted. And so we, pr we, we worked through a very quick yet concise and careful RFP process in order to get this onboarded as soon as possible. And our goal was really to start turning out reports quickly for senior leadership so that we could get buy-in on, on that level. And since then, it's just kind of exploded. Um, and usually there are at least six people online from yeah, across the foundation. She's literally showing me who's online. She's like stalking them right now. She actually <laughs> looks half at me and half at like, who's using it now? Um, well, yeah, and you should see me, you know, leaning over out of my bed with my phone next to me to, you know, 
checking out how many visitors we've had to the website. I mean, it's always at my fingertips. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. All right, more rapid fire questions here. Talk about mistake. Um, talk about mistake. Like maybe we go jump in the the time machine and you could go back the week before the uh, Back to the Future Day. What is something you would tell October Emily? Aside from don't bet on the Cubs. We've actually learned that um, we are certainly part of an eBay portion of proceeds program. Um, and on Back to the Future Day, there was a quite a bit of e-commerce happening and memorabilia. Not only did we not kind of market this opportunity to people in our world who we know sell items on eBay, but we also weren't able to pivot quickly enough to respond to an eBay request to do some co-promotion. Uh, and that was something that we should have foreseen and we should have worked on with a lot of lead time in order to maximize. Yeah. Yeah, it is minutiae, but I can also see the opportunity here. Like, oh my gosh, we have tons of sneakers. We have tons of people who've got these, like, something something mobiles. Yeah, it's just one of those. Where Do you were understand our heads? how many DeLoreans I have in my closet? You missed it. Okay. Um, <laughs> continuing on. Um, what is something you think uh, your organization should stop doing? It's a good question. It's a it's a good question because. I think all across the board and across all of the teams, we take a portfolio management approach to everything, and I don't quite know that there's anything that can be tossed out necessarily. How about you personally? Like your day-to-day, -day, I should stop checking it maybe every minute how many page views are on. By the way, there's five people online right now. Yeah. What should we stop doing? I think we should I think we're in a place where we're scaling, and it means that unlike you know the startup this foundation was, not everyone can do everything in a day anymore. And sometimes I find myself reminding myself and others that I'd like to embrace the less is more philosophy. Um, you know, we're 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 not we're no longer you know bootstrapping it and we're no longer uh, and we're not yet you know highly scaled we're in the middle there and that's where the challenge comes is that time management and focusing on what has impact what are some of the tech dragons you need to slay in the coming year well we've started with business intelligence but the reporting platform is only as good as the data coming out of it and we do we are taking a holistic look at our CRM ecosystem. We're going to be automating some manual uploads. We're going to be um, consolidating some activities that are now happening across multiple platforms into one, for example, one email platform. We are going to be looking at the ways in which we collect data online, um, offline, and ensure that every input is consistent and that our data is clean. Awesome. And right now, you are using um, Exact Target, as I've heard, Site Catalyst, Domo, Salesforce, um, probably others I don't even know about. Those are the linchpins, yeah. I would say. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. What is one tech tool or website that you or the organization has started using um, in the past year, aside from one of the ones that I've mentioned that has helped uh, productivity or sanity? When I first came on and we we're developing the digital marketing function from, from, from very little kind of raw material and resource. 
I did advocate for bringing on um, some resource tools for the marketing team. So we brought on TrackMaven, which is a web-based software that allows you to track kind of your your KPIs online and in email and social against up to 40 competitors or those in your cohort. And that was helpful for at least getting an initial understanding for the marketing team of, of what we were kind of the world we were operating in. I don't think we'd ever kind of had that lateral view. And I, we also made the choice to bring on Percolate for our social publishing. I think we acknowledged early on that social and growing social was a top priority. And Percolate made it very easy for us to manage all of our social presences in one place and quickly design and automate the creative to um, seamlessly integrate with all different platforms and publish all at once. Yeah. Um, if you had a Harry Potter style wand that you could wave over the nonprofit industry and you could change one sort of thing, process, or approach that you feel the industry is doing that, that maybe they shouldn't do or something they should adopt, what would you be doing in Harry Potter land? I think I'd encourage a few more hires from corporate world. Um, I, I personally came from 15 years in corporate and I've you know, made an effort to hire people with backgrounds in corporate. Um, I personally see no reason why corporate practices can't be applied in the nonprofit sector, and I see no other way to do to do my work. And and these are things that seem to add value very quickly, and and um, are useful for nonprofits as well. So, um, I think that's one thing we need to look at is industry recruitment and talent recruitment. Awesome, Emily. You have. You've put up with me for this entire interview, and I know you've had a long week, so we can end with here. How do people find you, and how do people help you? How do people find me? Uh, <laughs> not in a creepy way. I'm saying on social media. Oh. You know, that's a really good question, because ironically, I don't, per I, I don't personally have a social media presence outside of my silly Facebook page. Um, I know that strikes people as ironic because I am a marketer, but for some reason I think all of my energy goes into brand marketing and not necessarily personal brand marketing. It's hard to reach me. I hate the phone. No. See? See? I always have several un unanswered messages. Me. They're unanswered I hate messages, the phone. Unanswered I'm an introvert. She's inbox 410 right now. You know what? There's no, re no way to reach Emily. Tell you what. Follow the, the Mother Jane Fox Foundation. Follow at Team Fox. That's um, right. And Fol get engaged online. So basically, in order to follow me, yeah, you'd be following us, which is um, Michael J. Fox on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram are our most compelling audiences. We also have social presences under a sub-brand Team Fox, Tour de Fox, and Sam Fox. No shortage of foxes to follow here. Emily, thanks again for taking the time, uh, sharing your wisdom with us. What you've done here is truly incredible, and it's um, very impressive. And I'll let you go back to watching the six people that are currently online on Domo. Thank you very much. There's a ton to learn from the Michael J. Fox Foundation and what Emily shared with us. And what I hope that happens here is not that you walk away saying, yeah, that would be easy for us if we also had a celebrity in our in our midst. And, and that's not the point here. I've seen many organizations have what I'll call an Oprah moment, right? This moment where you get a ton of media press and attention, 
uh, either serendipitously or, or, or even planned, but they weren't designed to capture the information of people that might care about them. And, uh, and even if they are, they aren't ready in the way that the, the Fox Foundation is to nurture them, to move from friend to funder, to supporter. They aren't designed to nurture that and certainly don't have the database in place to do it. Now you can also say that sure, if we had a ton of money and the ability to do this, of course we could prioritize social when that day finally comes. But this is something that the foundation has been working on for many years, right? You don't get to you know 600,000 followers overnight. Um, although they did have big increases, they were ready. And more importantly, I think at an executive level at the Michael J. Fox Foundation, they prioritize and make sure that the team has time to focus on this type of building toward a social following, building toward uh, a network, a building toward uh, a larger email list even. And so when you're getting that executive buy-in, you know, that, that can't happen overnight. But if hopefully you can share stories like these of saying, look, this is how the the top research and nonprofits are, are acting and thinking about social strategically, you can move towards something. Another piece that I think brings in how tangible it is that they're they're building this audience is the fact that Emily talked about the literal market size of saying, look, this is how many people are out there with Parkinson's. And not only that, these are the family members. And so this is where you know we should be growing with regard to our reach. You know, in finding a cure, we have to find the audience and we have to engage the audience everywhere that they are. And so there's tangible goals for, for their market size. And so I challenge you to say, do you know your audience that well? Do you know the market size? And have you set reasonable goals on, on reaching that? I know lots of homework here, but hopefully all positive things and remembering that, yeah, you can hear about organizations getting lucky, but luck is just opportunity plus preparation. So making sure that your communications department and your database and your social strategies are prepared for wins and that you're just growing over time will inevitably lead to successful outcomes. That's all I have for you this week. And as always, you can go find these resources on episode 47 on wholewhale.com slash podcast where we will share links to all of those fun tools like Domo so you can go home and play with them to your heart's content. As always, thanks for joining us. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for this joining This week's us. musical stylings brought to you by Greg Thomas. He's a fantastic artist and we are thrilled that he can be working with Whole Whale these days. Check him out online by searching Greg Thomas Music and you should end up with him. He'll be the one that's got the, the sweet and savory tunes.